Hi everyone, this is Pastor Joseph. I made a mistake in the audio recording of the message you're about to listen to. I forgot to select the correct input. As a result, the audio quality is not what it should be. However, I think you'll find the content of this message to be a blessing and encouragement to you. So please enjoy Glory Days Part 2 of 6. Thanks. Hallelujah. Well, this is Part 2 of a six-part series we started last Sunday entitled Glory Days. And we want you to know that your glory days are not a distant memory. They're not something behind that you have to fondly look back to wondering what happened. We want you to know at Highway Church that your glory days are a present tense reality today, right now, that through Jesus Christ, God has brought us into a life of ever-increasing glory. Don't know how he does it, but he does it. He'll take us higher and make us stronger each and every day if we just trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you have brought us into this life that's beyond anything we can ask or imagine. It's this life of ever-increasing glory, going from glory to more glory. That is your heart's desire. That is what you have done for us through Christ. And Father, we just receive everything that you have for us this morning. And thank you for your glory manifest in this church on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, we said that the word glory is one of the most widely used words in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And you can tell what the word means just by the context in which it's used. The first time it's used in the Bible is back in Genesis 31, and it's speaking of the wealth of Jacob. So if you go through the Bible, you see that glory means wealth. It means um, great quantity, abundant supply, brilliance, magnificence, radiance, power, strength, uh, honor, a good opinion of, a good reputation. It's a very powerful word. And we, just to, just to simplify things, we, we, we took all the definitions of glory, and we're talking about the glory of God in this series, okay? We're focusing on the glory of God. So we gave you a very simple definition of the glory of God. Because the Highway Church, we don't like to think in terms of religion. We, wanna, we want to grab a hold of God and never let go. We want to experience Him in the little things, the medium-sized things, and the great big things in our life. So this is a definition we gave of the glory of God. Very simply, it is the supernatural life of God. It's the supernatural life of God. It's everything that makes God God. It's the inexhaustible supply of God. It's the very power of God. It's the supernatural life of God. And we want to look at the glory of God in the life of Jesus. Let's go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Now, John chapter 2 is a very important chapter. The apostle John records the very first miraculous sign 
that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. And what type of event were they at? Yeah, wedding celebration, right? A wedding reception. They were celebrating a wedding. And Jesus is there with his family. And what happens? They run out of something. Wine. Yeah, they run out of wine, right? And Jesus' mom wants him to do something about it, right? So in verse 7, Jesus tells, tells the servants to fill the pots with water. And then he says, draw that water out and bring it to the governor of the feast. Okay? Let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 of chapter 2. This, turning water into wine, right? The first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his what? His glory, the supernatural life of God. And his disciples put their faith in him. So he revealed the supernatural life of God at this wedding reception. By doing what? Turning water into wine. There are two things I want us to grab a hold of from John chapter 2. The first thing is this. The glory of God, the miraculous signs of God, the supernatural life of God always follows the word of God. Every time. Mm -hmm. Study it through the scriptures. You'll see that God's word always precedes his supernatural life, his glory manifests. What did Jesus say to them? He said, fill those pots with water. That's the word of God. He gave them an instruction. Fill the pots with water, then draw out that water, right? Now, this is important to understand, because I want you to know that there was no thunder, no lightning, no earthquake, no fire. No one knew what was going on, the miraculous sign that was happening right in their midst. The only ones who knew were those who obeyed the word of God, those who received the word of God. The governor of the feast didn't know where the wine came from. Now you think for the, for the, for the people who obeyed Jesus, that had to take faith. Uh-huh. Fill those pots with water. And the governor who wants wine, pour that water into, into jars and bring it to the governor of the feast to drink. And he's expecting wine. They, it, 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 this wasn't a quick thing. They didn't run over to faucet. They had to draw the water out. They had to pour it in buckets. These were good-sized jars. And they had to fill it with water and believe that that water was going to be transformed into wine. You ever think about the faith of the people who did that? And we don't know when, but somewhere between when they put the water in the pots and that governor drank it, it became wine. No external sign. Nothing spectacular that anyone could detect with their senses. When the governor drank it, it says he didn't know where it came from. All he knew is it was the best glass of wine he ever had. Isn't that awesome? Why is that important? In 1 Kings chapter 19, you don't have to turn there, the Lord is about to speak to Elijah. And it says that a great wind comes and splits the rocks apart. And an earthquake comes. And then a great fire comes. But it says the Lord was not in any of these. When God spoke, it was a still Small voice. Why is that important for the glory of God? Because at Highway Church, we're not looking for spectacular signs. 
We look to the Word of God and expect the glory of God. We expect the supernatural life of God to manifest daily in our lives. Because it follows the Word. You see, the flesh wants proof of God's Word. The flesh wants an external sign. God speaking is not enough for the flesh. The flesh wants some other confirmation. The flesh says, I want to see it first, then I'll believe it. But that's really not even true. I think it's in Matthew chapter 12. They said to Jesus, who was doing amazing things, show us a sign. They couldn't even see what he was doing because they didn't have faith. I've seen people in the midst of miraculous signs miss them. Not because the sign wasn't there, because they couldn't see it with faith. The very nature of our relationship with God is being sure of what we don't see. And and being in the body of Christ, and I can understand it over the years, hearing different people in different places and the different places we live in the States and overseas, people would get discouraged and say, we just need to see signs and wonders. People need to see signs and wonders. And I understand what they're saying, but what we need to do is just believe God. When you believe the word, his life is sure. When you put your faith in the word of God, the miraculous signs of God, the supernatural life of God is right there. Let's look at what Jesus said about this. And uh, let's go to John chapter 6. Don't put that up yet, Before we go there, in Mark chapter, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 9, Matthew gives us a summary of the ministry of Christ. This is Christ we're talking about. Not a wannabe preacher. This is the son of God. And it says in Matthew 4 and Matthew 9, it describes his ministry with three things. He went about teaching, preaching, and healing. That means he taught and preached more than he healed. Because the glory of God always follows the word of God. Always. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, Verses 5 and 6. You guys there? You don't have to. I'm going to go quickly so we can get to it. Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Jesus is in his own country. And it said he could do no mighty works there except heal a few sick. This is the perfect one who was full of the Holy Spirit. The Messiah was limited. Why? Because of their unbelief. They demanded a sign of him in Matthew. He said an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. How many believers are seeking for a sign? It ought not to be, and it's not so here. See, well, all I know I need to know is God said it, and I've got it. I don't need anything out here. I don't need any lightning. I don't need any thunder. All I need is his word. When I've got his word, I've got more than thunder. I've got more than lightning. I've got the promise of the one who made heaven and earth. So Jesus in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, it says after that that he was amazed, marveled at their unbelief. And then what did he do? You see that in Mark 5, verse 6? Mark 6, excuse me. (laughs) Mark 6, verse 6. After he was amazed at their unbelief, what did he do? He went about the villages teaching. Why? The glory of God always follows The Word of God. And the Word of God has not been preached near enough in churches. 
Man's theology has been preached. Man's frustrations. But not the simple word of God. Now we get to John 6, Eden. Okay? John chapter 6. Now I understand. I've heard this over the years. Walking with the Lord. Where being in different services or different churches. And they'll say, we need to see signs and wonders. We need to pray more. We need to have all-night prayer meetings. We need to fast. All these things we need to do. Check this out, John chapter 6. See, we like to go to Jesus at Highway Church, yeah. not religious tradition. When you go to Jesus, you'll find answers. And you'll be amazed at how simple they are. Okay, so we go right to Jesus at Highway Church. Now look at this. They're asking Jesus the same thing I've heard many believers say. What shall we do? That we may work the works of God. Don't go there yet. You just, so here it is. They're asking the Messiah, the King of Kings. You know, what do we got to do? How long do we have to pray? How long do we have to fast? Go ahead. Eden. Next slide. Now, Jesus is about to answer this. If anyone knows, he would know, right? So let's look to him now. So Jesus answered. He says, this is the work of God that you, next slide, Eden, that you fast 40 days. Is that what he said? Oh! Wrong answer. This is the work of God that you, next one, pray all night. Nah, wrong answer. Wait a minute. What's the answer, Jesus? This is the work of God that you, what? Just believe. It can't be so. You experience the glory of God, the miraculous life of God by simply believing in him whom he sent. Wow. What must we do to experience the glory of God? Believe the word. It's just that simple. And boy, the gymnastics religion will take you through. And your flesh will take you through to try and experience more of God. It's just that simple. See, the life people are looking for is found through simple faith in the Word of God. So that's the first thing we want to grab out of that, that the glory of God always follows the Word of God. And if you feel like in your life I need to experience more of God, get His Word. Just grab a hold of His Word. Put your faith in His Word. Find promises in God's Word that relate to your situation and put your faith in that. Don't look for signs. The enemy can greatly mislead you when you're looking on the outside for what God's doing on the inside. All right? The second thing we want to grab a hold of from John chapter 2 is that the glory of God is relevant to every situation of our lives. And kind of, I got the impression as a kid growing up, if if the term was ever used, the glory of God was something you couldn't really uh, handle or touch. It was off in the distance and It wasn't something that was really relevant to our lives. But where were they when Jesus, in John chapter 2, did his first miraculous sign? What were they at? A wedding, right? Was it a life and death situation? I don't think so. They're out of wine, right? No big deal. They're out of wine. You think, well, don't bother the Lord of Lords with such a teeny little insignificant thing. Jesus doesn't think that way. He knows the hair's on your head. It says he cares for you wonderfully in Matthew chapter 6. Intimately, right? More, more, you're more important than the birds of the field, the birds of the air, and the grass of the field. 
So the glory of God's relevant to every situation. So here's a situation that wasn't life or death. He just, they needed more wine. And he turned water into wine. Now let's look at another situation that was a little more serious. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. So the wine, water to wine, that was a little need, not a big deal. He handles medium-sized needs. Now here's a great big need in John chapter 11. You've got Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Lazarus had a really big need. He was sick. And he died and was in the tomb four days. That's about as big as you get, right? That's a big need. And Martha came to Jesus and Mary. And Jesus told Martha to roll away the stone that was covering her dead brother's tomb. And he'd been in there for four days. And she didn't want to do it because she believed that there would be such a stench from his dead body that it would gag him, right? So she doesn't want to do it. But look what Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you pray all night and fast for 40 days? No. I mean, is this big? Right? See, what really has promoted these religious things is unbelief. We've got to do more to experience. No, we don't have to do more. We don't need programs. We don't need more programs and prayer rituals. We just need to believe. And the flesh recoils at this. The flesh wants to earn it. The flesh wants to say, well, I prayed this long. I've done this. I've done that. I've done that. Now I'm qualified for, for God's glory. Jesus qualified us. Right? So Jesus says, did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the what? The supernatural life of God. So what does she have to do? Just believe. Is that a serious situation she's in? I don't, I don't even get much more serious than that, right? Unless you're talking about eternal damnation. As far as this world goes, being in the tomb four days, that's pretty serious. So this is huge. You would think it would require some huge feat on her part, but it doesn't. Just believe. All right? So the glory of God always follows the word of God. Don't seek external things. Put your faith in his word and expect his glory to show up. All right? We receive it before we see it. And the glory of God is relevant to each and every situation. Now, the glory of Jesus is amazing. You want to see something more amazing? Go to John 17. John 17, verse 22. Look what Jesus said. See, we're just, talking, we're just looking at Jesus. The glory... The supernatural life of God, the supernatural life which you have given me. Who's he talking to? His father, right? Which you have given me, I have given to them. Who's them? His disciples, right? Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So the supernatural life of God is in you. Is that right? It sure is. That they may be one just as we are one. So this supernatural life that turned water into wine, that, that brought Lazarus out of the tomb is in you if you put your faith in Christ. All you've got to do is believe that. Isn't that awesome? Wow. So when we look at the scriptures, we see God's not holding back anything on us. That he wants us to experience his glory yes, yes. daily. Amen. Listen closely. Wrong thinking and wrong believing will block the supernatural life of God in your life. No matter how much you want it. Wrong thing. We see that in the ministry of Jesus. 
He said to them, your traditions, your religious traditions, have made the word of God, which made the universe, of no effect in your life. And you'll find that religion is a breeding ground for wrong thinking. It is a breeding ground for wrong thinking and wrong believing. That's why I left it many, many years ago at the age of 19. I said, I've got to have Jesus. I've got to have him. So at Highway Church, we just give you Jesus. We don't, nothing, nothing more, nothing less. We just want you to have Jesus. We just want you to experience him. We don't have any doctrines to add to it. We don't have any sacraments to add to it. We just want you to taste and see Amen. how good he is. Amen. It's just Jesus. Okay, so let's get into our, our primary text, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Jesus removes the veil of religion from our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Last week we read verses 1 through 18. We're going to start in verse 5. 18 is our, our primary text for the Glory Days series. <clears throat> we find that when a person turns from religion and turns to Jesus, that that veil of wrong thinking, that veil of condemnation, that veil of unworthiness is lifted. And they begin to live this life that God called them to live. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, follow along with me. It's on the screen if you want to read on the screen as well. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Can't get more adequate than that, right? That's why we just have to believe. All the work's been done. Okay, Jesus did it for us. Verse six, who also made us adequate. You believe you're adequate? For God's glory to show up in your life, you are. Because of Jesus, he made you adequate. As servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, boy, this is important, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. If you wrote me a letter, and my wife wrote me a letter, guarantee you I understand her letter better than yours, because I know her heart more. See, the key to understanding the word of God is knowing the heart of the one who wrote it. That's why the Bible has been so greatly misunderstood because so many are so unfamiliar with the heart of God. See? So if, if you wrote me a letter, I may or may not understand. It depends on how well I know your heart. Have you ever misunderstood something that someone said to you? They used a phrase that you weren't familiar with and you thought they meant one thing, but they meant another. Or they used a phrase you were familiar with, but to you that phrase means one thing, then it means another. Sure. Well, the word of God, the new covenant, it says, the spirit of it brings life. But the letter of it kills. How do you know if you're a letter Christian or a spirit Christian? I'll give you a little litmus test. A letter Christian is someone who occupies their thinking, who spends their time thinking about their own behavior and the behavior of others. Stay with me. This will help you. In other words, you're going through your day and you're thinking, oh, I didn't do that right. Oh, I missed it. Oh, I did that right. Yeah, I've done that before. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, I did, oh, I did that. Did you see what they did? They're a Christian. They did. I'm better. I, I've not done that. I can do that. I can't do that. That's a letter Christian. 
You're trying to earn your relationship with him. Your thinking is occupied by your behavior. And you either get discouraged because of the mistakes you make, which we all make, or they or maybe begin to get arrogant because you think you've done so many things right and others haven't. That's a letter Christian. Then you start demanding of others this certain behavior standard that you've made within yourself. And it kills. It blocks the glory of God in your life. What's a spirit Christian? A spirit Christian, instead of thinking about their behavior all day, what they've done right, what they've done wrong, what so-and-so did right and wrong, they occupy their thinking with the heart of God. They get up, they're not thinking about the mistakes they made yesterday, how they're a failure or how they're this and that. They're thinking about God's amazing heart that's been revealed to us through Christ. And they, they occupy their thinking with who Christ is and what he's done for us. That's a spirit Christian. And that opens the floodgates for the supernatural life of God to flow in you. So I want you to think about that as you're going through your day to day and this week. What do you spend your time thinking about? Listen, I could spend my time thinking about my mistakes all day, every day. We all could. We make them. But it's all right. The glory of God's greater than our mistakes. His grace is greater. So I decided every time I catch myself, oh, no, no, get my mind back on him, back on Jesus, back on who he is, back on his heart, back on his love, back on his strength, back on his power, back on his grace, back on his redemption that I'm redeemed from my mistakes, I'm redeemed from sin, right? And I'm walking in his life, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. So that's how you can tell, verse seven. But if the ministry of death, man, that's a serious term. What's he talking about? Old Testament, right? Old covenant. Hey, he said it, not me. He called it the ministry of death. In letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit, now he's talking New Covenant, fail to be what? Even more with glory. For if the ministry of condemnation, what's he talking about? Old Covenant, right? Old Covenant. The ministry of condemnation. So it's the ministry of death. That makes you want to stay away from that thing, right? Absolutely. Why would I want death and condemnation? That's what the old covenant was, according to the Bible. Come on. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, look at this. Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Can you imagine how frustrating it must have been in the Old Testament? After all of the rituals and the ceremonies and taking your property and your livestock, your little pet lamb, bringing it to the priest. And man, he, he sacrifices that thing. The blood is shed, the guts, all the blood. And after all that's done, you're not free from sin. It just covers over your sin. And you've got to do it again, and you've got to do it again, and you've got to do it again and again, and you can never stop. See, under the old covenant, because we sin, death belonged to us. We were condemned for our sin. And you see, God had to implement that covenant because of the hardness of man's heart. Man got to the point, you can see it, when Israel's standing at Mount Sinai, they developed this arrogance saying, we can do this on our own. It's that arrogance, we don't need you, God. God had gave us the old covenant for one reason only, to show us our desperate need for Jesus. Our desperate need for a Savior. 
The old covenant is simply a tutor to lead us to Christ. If it becomes anything more than that, you're going to be in bondage to it. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This is the old covenant. Excuse me, this is a new covenant. Compare this to the old covenant. Imagine you're in the old covenant. You just went through all the sacrifice. Just shed your blood, uh, the blood of your, of your livestock. And, and you know that you're still a sinner, that you haven't been changed. Your sin's just been covered. Look at the new covenant in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin. Who's that? Jesus, Jesus yeah. To be sin for who? People who do what's right. Only those who never make a mistake. No. For everybody, right? So that in him, who in who? In Christ, we might become the what? So if I told you, if you put your faith in Jesus, that you are the righteousness of God, would you believe me? That's what God says. Man, those are like borderline blasphemy words in some churches. You say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. They want to show you. It's just a simple Bible. It's just the gospel, Right? And we embrace the gospel here at Highway Church, right? Well, let's go to verse 10. For indeed, what had glory in this case has Zippo glory, right? Because the glory that surpasses it. Now, the Old Testament was glorious. Some powerful things took place. God writing in stone with his finger, the Red Sea parting. See, I, I, when we first moved in our home, we had a swimming pool. It holds 14,000 gallons of water. It's not a big, it's like 24 foot round. I thought that was a lot of water until I went to the pond uh, down the street. It's probably about 15 times the size of that. And then until you go to a lake. And then you ever been to the Great Lakes? And then you go to the ocean. So you compare, you look at the Old Testament, well, that was amazing. Then you look at the New Testament. And you realize that we're standing in the ocean of the life of God. That God has taken us out from this swimming pool of condemnation and he's brought us into the boundless ocean of his amazing grace. That we're covered with wave upon wave upon wave of his love, his grace, his life, his power, his strength, his provision. Wow. Thank you, God. Verse 11. For if that which fades away was with glory. Look at this. Much more. Boy, is he a much more God or what? Yes. Much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, that word means confidence, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses. You telling me we're greater than Moses? Yes, because of Jesus. That's just the Bible who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. He knew the glory was fading. He knew this covenant couldn't go on forever. He didn't want them to see. He had spent time alone with God, so much so that his face was shining, but he knew it was fading. He knew it couldn't last, so he covered his face. And isn't that what religion is like? We try and cover our shortcomings. We try and cover our mistakes. We don't want people to see the real us. But see, that veil, let's keep reading. Their minds were hardened, verse 14, for until the very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. There's only one way, one way, to get that veil taken away. And that's through simple faith 
in Christ. I like Psalm 34, 5. It says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. That is prophetic. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, 2. It's on the screen if you want to look up there. Look at this now. The veil's removed because therefore there is now how much? Zippo, right? Zippo condemnation for who? For those who've made only three mistakes in the last 10 years. Nope. For those who are in Christ Jesus. How do you get in Christ? Pray all night? Fast for 40 days. You leave. See, religion has minimized our faith in Christ. They'll tell you that if you want to go to heaven, put your faith in Christ, but then after that, it's all work. You know, now you've got to do this and this. And this. What about faith in Christ? That, 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 it saved my soul. It made my spirit brand new. It set me free from sin. And now I've got to what? I've got to do these little physical deeds to, to go to a new level. It's backwards. When you put your faith in Christ, you're completely redeemed from the curse of sin. Hmm. All right, verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The barrier between you and God is removed forever. But you got to keep believing. You can't let the devil condemn you and start getting, turning your focus from Jesus and what he did for you back onto yourself. And you have to watch for that because he's clever, right? He's qualified you. All right, 17. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, we don't have any shame anymore, Beholding as in a mirror. Who do you see when you look in a mirror? Yourself. Beholding as in a mirror. The what? The glory of the Lord. So you telling me when I look in the mirror, I can see the glory of God? Yes. Why? Because Christ is in you. Are being transformed in the same image from glory, from supernatural life to more supernatural life. Just as from the Lord. The Spirit. Wow. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So we've seen today the glory of God always follows the Word of God. Every time. Keep it simple. Just believe. And don't you back off that promise. Don't you back off that promise for anything. No matter what earthquake comes, you stand on the promise of God. And the glory of God is relevant to the little things medium-sized things and the great big things in our life and it's ex- our lives and it's experienced just by believing. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing word. Thank you. It's Lord. supernatural, God. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for quickening, quickening us this morning with the life of your spirit in your word. We rejoice, Lord, that it was your will to make known the riches of the glory of the mystery of, of, of the Gentiles, which is Christ in us, the certainty of glory. You have revealed your son and you've revealed your glory to us. We thank you, God, for your glory manifest 
in our families, manifest in our marriage, manifest in our children, and manifest in this church. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God has brought us into a life of ever-increasing glory. What must we do to experience this glory? Simply believe. So stop striving and trying to measure up. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and let God take you higher. In Jesus' name, amen.